Hi, I'm Dee Reddy, and welcome to Scale by Intercom. As you've no doubt heard, Scale is now a dedicated space on the Inside Intercom blog, where you can find a wealth of materials, including podcasts, of course, that explore how businesses are driving growth through customer relationships. As part of this, we're now releasing a new Scale episode for you every second week, so you can continue to hear from a slate of brilliant leaders and thinkers about the strategies and frameworks that they've used to chart new paths for their customers and their companies. Our guest this week is Carl Gold, Chief Data Scientist at Zuora, where he is responsible for their Subscription Economy Index and the data science behind their subscriber insights. Carl's had a really interesting career trajectory, having studied neuroscience and worked for a number of years on Wall Street. He brings a unique vision and perspective to the world of data science. So let's hear from Carl himself. Carl, thanks so much for joining us on Inside Intercom today. You're the chief data scientist at Zwara currently, but can you kick things off by telling us a little bit about your background and how you ended up in your current role? Okay, well, the truth is I have a little bit of an unusual path to becoming a data scientist, or maybe it's not that unusual for people of my age, (laughs) to be honest, (laughs) but I started out professionally, you know, before data science was a thing. And I went to uh, graduate school and I did a PhD at the California Institute of Technology in what is an interdisciplinary program that combines uh, neuroscience and artificial intelligence. So a lot of neural networks and stuff like that. Um, But I should mention that this was back before neural networks was cool. (laughs) It was back before there were tons of people talking about it and (laughs) lots of companies investing in it. Um, But uh, it was a great experience, you know, uh, and my PhD definitely laid the foundation for my later career. Although after finishing my PhD, I went to work at a Wall Street company because Well, back then, Wall Street was kind of like the best bet for uh, someone with an academic science training who didn't want to stay in academia. So back then, if you didn't want to stay in academia, I mean, Wall Street was pretty much the only option. And what sort of years were you working on Wall Street? Uh, From right before the financial crash, I started in 2007 and worked on Wall Street till I guess 2014 or 15, I forget exactly. Interesting times to be working there, I would imagine. Oh, yeah, it was quite stressful because, I mean, I was, you know, a new, (laughs) relatively junior person. And that was when the financial markets just started blowing up and everything went crazy. (laughs) Um, So then in 2014, what made you decide to move out of that arena? Well, to be honest, well there, well, there are a few reasons. One is that the, the finance industry changed post-crash. I mean, before the crash, most people, I think, at that time, people saw the finance industry in a more positive light um, because the economy was booming and finance was booming. And a lot of people at the time said, oh, look, finance is doing great things for the economy. Uh, then when the crash came, everyone's perceptions changed. I mean, my own included, because a lot of wrongdoing and bad business practices came to light. It became apparent that finance wasn't really contributing so much to the economy. In fact, it had just exploded the economy. So 
everyone's perception of finance changed. And also, I mean, the business environment changed. It went from a bubble that was growing to one that was deflating. And that meant all the companies in the industry had to contend with a, a much less positive business environment. So everyone's margins were tight and competition was fierce. So it's a, you know, it's a challenging environment. But at the same time, in those intervening years, the data science really came into its own. And with my background that included machine learning and statistics and programming, it was pretty natural to make that leap and join what I felt was a, a healthier industry, really. Well, that's often the way. That's often the way. So you're, you're, you're at Zora a while now, and one impressive initiative that you guys have undertaken in recent years, I think it was back in 2018, but you launched the Subscribed Institute. And I know you're on the leadership team there, along with your CEO, Tian Zhu, and some other colleagues. Do you want to tell us how that initially came about? Well, it really came about from the urging and demands of some of our leading customers because, I mean, Zora had a big conference every year, but the leaders at our customer companies felt like, you know, the big conference, it was a great way for Zora to broadcast knowledge, you know, to all of our users, but it wasn't a great way for the leaders at those companies to meet each other and also, you know, share best practices and actually learn from each other. So it really came out of the urging and requests of the the leaders at our customer companies. And that was where the initiative was launched. And so some of the the first things in the Subscribe Institute are these executive summit events, which Mm -hmm. fills that that need for subscription economy leaders to, to meet with each other and share their experiences and best practices directly with each other. But then after that, we, we broadened the scope to cover the research efforts that, you know, that is one of the, my main uh, focuses. So we were already doing some research on subscription economy data, but we, we merged the initiatives just to make sure that the research is really in touch with the needs of, of the leaders at, at our customers. I mean, it makes a huge amount of sense, and I'm, I can only imagine that your own academic background must be a huge asset in pulling that type of research together. Oh, yeah, definitely. Well, surprisingly, it's a lot of my Wall Street background, because, I mean, my academic background, remember, is in, you know, neuroscience and machine learning. Okay. So I, have, I do have the background in statistics and research methods and things like that. But it's a lot of the time that I spent on Wall Street, which gives me the more practical knowledge that I can bring to those research questions. That makes sense. And, I, and the next question I was going to ask you was, you know, why do you think in, an industry-wide resource like that is important? Because, you know, I guess our understanding of the subscription community or uh, subscription companies is ever broadening, isn't it? Oh, yeah, absolutely. And I mean, it's like I said about the, you know, the genesis of it. I mean, at Zora, we know a lot about the subscription economy. I mean, we're obviously one of the leaders, but, you know, we we don't know everything and we don't claim to to know the best practices or best answer to every question. 
So, I mean, it's really important because it allows our customers the opportunity to learn from each other, you know, in a, in a peer network rather than, you know, like the, the, the broadcast uh, from Zora down to them. So they can learn from each other for companies that are already subscription, you know, they want to hear from each other about, you know, best practices for subscription companies and for the many companies that are just beginning the journey to subscription by transforming a legacy business, they really need uh, the input from, from other leaders who have gone on that journey. That's one thing you've touched on in your writings that I was particularly interested in, actually, is those legacy companies and their perhaps unique approach to subscription models. One you mentioned in a piece you wrote was Caterpillar. Yeah, so there's there's different models for companies that have a, a legacy product. I mean, the simplest, of course, is just to take the existing product and, you know, sell it in annual contracts rather than in a perpetual license. But, you know, Caterpillar is like a good example because they're not just, you know, offering, you know, their old leases on subscription. They're actually offering new digitally enhanced products. Um, and that's what we see a lot of. Companies don't just want to take their old product and, you know, sell it on a subscription instead of a, a license. Um, they want to do, you know, new digital offerings that are where subscription is really the most natural way to do it. Yeah. And I suppose not every legacy company is going to have a business model that's going to be an automatic fit in its original form to subscription. Yeah. Or, or people you know, won't necessarily be willing to, to buy the, the product that way. I mean, it, it really depends. There, there's so much variety. But definitely we, we see, you know, offering the old product on subscription is just stage one. Because one of the most compelling things about the subscription business model, it's not just that there is recurring revenue. It's that you have an ongoing relationship with your customer. And that gives the opportunity to learn more from your customers and to offer upgrade and add-on services. So digital services on top of, for, for like something like Caterpillar, you know, a big part of their plan is to add, offer digital services on top of the existing, you know, equipment. We actually had a customer support or customer experience sort of guru, Shep Hyken on recently, who referenced your CEO and did actually say that the future of customer support and that type of customer experience was actually going to be through subscription. So it's interesting that you should say that. Let's move on then to your work within the Institute. I know you're the creator of the Subscription Economy Index. So for listeners who might not be familiar with the resource, can you talk us through what this is? Yeah, the Subscription Economy Index is a benchmark or really a collection of benchmarks created from aggregated and anonymized data that's generated by the companies running on the Zora platform. So, for example, you know, one of the main things we look at in the Subscription Economy Index is the, the typical growth rates in, in revenue for subscription companies. Um, and you know, to do that, like I said, we we anonymize the data that's in our system, and then we take aggregated statistics from all the different companies. 
And so then we can answer questions like, well, what's the average growth rate of subscription company that we see? And so although the, the data is, it's only based on companies that are running on Zora, we have such a large pool of companies that we really do think this is representative of what's going on throughout the subscription economy. And the advantage of you know working with the companies that are on Zora is we have, well, for me as a data scientist, uh, it's really great because the data is all in a common format and you know, it's easy to know what all the, you know, the numbers mean because we're all on the same platform. It's a lot harder, for example, to analyze companies according to their filings because then, you know, they've all got a different meaning for something like the turn rate. Yeah. And you say about collaborating with each other. Why do you think that there is that need for that sort of industry-wide resource? Why is that important? And, and what can businesses maybe gain from taking part in that? Well, I mean, it's clear to everyone in the subscription economy that subscriptions are the future of business. And across many industries, companies are undergoing, you know, big business transformations. But just because you sell something by subscription, it doesn't guarantee success. That's what we've seen. And we have the data to to show success starts with a great product. But there are many pitfalls when it comes to your go to market strategy not to mention adopting the right technologies and transforming your company culture. So it's not easy, and the Subscribe Institute works to solve those critical business problems for the companies in the subscription economy. And so I guess it's about learning from the larger subscription community, but then there are there are companies involved in that who, you know, on the face of it, you wouldn't necessarily consider them to be subscription businesses as such. Um, I know you've spoken before, you've given the example of Caterpillar. Oh, yeah. Well, like I said, it really cuts across industries and business models because many of these companies want to offer new services. They don't want to just be a manufacturer or Caterpillar. They don't want to just sell you the industrial equipment. But there's things like, you know, ongoing maintenance and service and and digital service enhancements, which is where a lot more of the profit margin is going to come from in the future. So engaging with something like the Subscribed Institute can help existing companies to find their feet in, in finding a subscription model within an existing business. Is that what you're saying? Yes. And they can learn from the companies at Zora who are already doing it. I mean, because Zora has been serving the companies that have been going subscription for over a decade now. So many of the the, the winners and the, you know the, the premier companies in the subscription economy are already with us. Just before we continue with today's episode, I wanted to let you know about Offscript. It's a new series of candid conversations with intercom leadership all about the extraordinary AI-driven transformation we're currently experiencing. Episode 1 is on our YouTube channel right now. Here's a teaser of what you can expect. I don't want to come across as overly dramatic, but for every single tech company, this is an adapt-or-die moment. It's inevitable that all businesses are going to go AI first. It's just a matter of time. In this post-AI world, new companies will rise, old companies will fall. Of course, some of these new companies will flame out. Some old companies will pivot successfully too. 
I don't think any of us could see a world where this wasn't going to be one of the biggest changes in the customer service landscape ever. The world we care about is customer service, and it's so patently obvious that the old way will be quickly obsolete. We're racing hard to build a future which will result in better experiences and results for customers and businesses too. It's not just a product change, it's a mindset change. Let's make space to talk about all of this. We have so much we want to share. We want to explore these ideas in the open. We want to provoke new ones in you. We want to learn from your reaction. You just click the kind of like big stupid go button, right, and see what happens. Welcome to Offscript. That's all to come on Offscript. The first episode is out now. You can watch it on Intercom's YouTube channel and we'll bring you audio versions of the episodes right here. Now, back to today's episode. So within the Institute, you're the creator of the Subscription Economy Index. So for any of our listeners who might not be familiar with that resource, do you want to talk me through what it is and how you go about compiling it and, you know, maybe what types of companies are involved? Sure, yeah. Okay, the Subscription Economy Index is designed to measure the overall health and growth of subscription businesses across all the various industries. And it's compiled based on anonymized and aggregated data, which is the system-generated activity on Zora's billing service. So it's meant to be indicative sample of the companies throughout the subscription economy. And yeah, and so we can use that data to analyze things like trends in company health and you know benchmarking things like growth rates and churn rates and also analyzing best practices. Um, you asked about you know, what companies are involved in it. It's a wide range. We analyze industries, including SaaS, software as a service, which of course mm-hmm. you know a lot about. And then also IoT is a, is a very big category for us now. That's Internet of Things. And of course, dropping the, the acronyms. <laughs> There's yeah. traditional sectors like media, telecommunications, and even now, you know, manufacturing companies, like you mentioned Caterpillar, but we also have a big category of manufacturing services companies, which is like software and services in the manufacturing sector, for example. Wow, that's fascinating. It sounds like a very broad church indeed. I know your last biannual report recorded that the subscription economy grew by 350% over only seven and a half years. That's a fairly remarkable growth to see. Can you paint us a picture of what's behind that? Sure. Um, Well, I mean, 350% growth in seven and a half years uh, comes out to an 18% compound annual growth rate, which is the average we see in our companies. And that comes from the fact that these companies have both rapidly expanding subscriber bases, as well as the ability to upsell existing customers um, on new products. And those are really the two pillars of subscription company growth. The sectors outlined in the subscription economy index report are growing around two to five times faster than their comparable non-subscription benchmarks. And we see that across all the, the different industries that we track. It's not limited to just one or two industries. I'm curious about that as well, because you do break down growth rates by industry or sector. Are there any like really surprising or particularly impactful insights that you found on that on that point? 
Well, a minute ago, you know, I, I mentioned, you know, those manufacturing services. Yeah. Um, and really, one surprise we saw was that, you know, business and manufacturing industry services had the lowest churn rates across all the sectors. That was like lower than 20% churn rates, um, approximately. That shows that offering subscriptions that serve business critical functions really does, you know, makes a sticky product, you know, so the customers don't churn. Um, Another interesting thing we saw was that the IoT sector that we tracked, we compared them to the regular hardware sector, and the IoT was growing around five times faster than traditional uh, hardware manufacturing companies. So the network products are just, you know, really growing much faster. And also they have the the highest growth rate. I mentioned the, the growth in upsell in user spending. We measure that with the average revenue per account. And IoT had the fastest growth rate in average revenue per account, which shows that Launching and then monetizing a new service really drives greater individual account growth. Yeah, because within that report, and you've mentioned churn a couple of times there, some of the key takeaways that you give on the report are around how subscription-based companies can see a reduction in churn. There was kind of three that jumped out at me. So there was offering subscriptions that serve business critical functions, which you've mentioned there, launching and monetizing new services, and then incorporating user-based pricing facilities. Is there anything there that you'd like to expand on? Well, definitely, I mean, serving business critical functions um, Mm -hmm. really does lower churn due to the sticky nature of B2B subscriptions. And absolutely, we've seen that incorporating uh, usage billing is a plus. It gives customers kind of balance and flexibility due to that sort of pricing. And it keeps customers more engaged and retained longer because when you pay for what you use, you feel like you're getting a good value. And and that leads to better customer retention. That makes a lot of sense. And I know you've recently written a book called uh, Fighting Churn with Data. You've said you've also said before that there's no silver bullet to avoiding churn. So in your experience, if someone's going to fight churn with data, what are the metrics that really matter that they should be looking to? Well, the to fight churn with data, you need to really assess your business and develop a set of great customer metrics. And every great customer metric is going to show a really strong relationship with customer engagement and retention on the one hand and customer churn, you know, on the other hand. And the the book is really about the process of discovering and developing those kind of metrics. But I mean, in a nutshell, you have to be really monitoring the activities that give the customers the most value from using your service. You want to capture the magical or aha moments that you're delivering to your customers. Yeah, but overall, you know, the use of data and customer metrics is critical to reducing churn. It lets you build stronger customer relationships through your understanding of the customer. It's a communication path between your different departments as well. Because like you said, there's no silver bullet for fighting churn. It's the responsibility of many different groups that need to coordinate. So that's another area where customer metrics have a really important role. 
So it's probably fair to assume, Carl, that most of our audience are either working currently in a in a SaaS or a subscription-based company, or, you know, at the very least, they've done so in the past or hope to in the future. What can we all learn collectively? Because you have a great piece that you've written about this. But what can we all learn collectively from the old fairy tale of Goldilocks? Yeah, well... <laughs> There are a couple of ways in subscription products, your go-to-market, where you need to get things just right, because that's really the point of Goldilocks, right? Not too hot, not too cold, Mm -hmm. you know, just right. So one area there is to allow customers to opt into and out of different features of your product and generally make changes in their product selection and, you know, things like, you know, payment terms it really leads to better revenue and lower churn when customers make changes. We found that for our companies where customers actually make changes in their product offering at a commonly grow m- much faster than customers that don't. And in making those changes, though, I presume you you probably want to be careful that you're not changing your product to the detriment of itself. Right. Well, what I'm talking about actually is not changing. Sorry if I wasn't clear. I didn't mean changing your product, but actually having options for customers to self-select different versions, different features to you know upgrade, downgrade uh, without penalty or interruption of service. Gotcha. And that ties into then to the pricing being just right for them because they've almost chosen the exact model that they want. Yeah, exactly. And then another area where the Goldilocks principle applies is in charging your customers for usage, which we briefly talked about before. That's when you charge customers based on how much they use the product and not only a a fixed fee. So that does help you get the pricing just right for your customers. But we actually found that subscription billing plans should include a little component of usage charges, but not too much. Because if you charge customers for all the usage, if, they, if you're charging them for everything they, they do, then it's like a taxi meter and you know no one likes that. So we yeah. found that having a small component of the charges be from usage billing at the same time as most of your billing plan is recurring. That's the just right balance. And then where did the bear come into this? <laughs> uh, the bears are your competitors. Sure. Um, yeah, I probably should have guessed that part. You don't give Goldilocks the right meal, you know, before the bear comes home, you're going <laughs> to, she's going to run out the back door. How about that? <laughs> I like that. So your advice to people though is to be the bear so that their competitors, you know, yeah, can't get in there first. So Carl, Before we let you go, it feels like a pretty important juncture with the work that you're doing and across the industry in terms of how we use data science. What do you think that the next 10 years might hold in store for that particular sector of the industry? Well, we definitely see in subscription services that um, there's an increasing need for, for customization to individuals and data science plays a really key role there in how companies are adapting their services to uh, new user demands, uh, especially during this kind of you know crisis period that we're having, uh, the types of services and the demands that people place on them is is really evolving very rapidly, and so definitely 
you know, using data, predictive analytics is really key to keeping the pulse on your customers and figuring out, you know, what the next opportunity is, what the next threat is. That makes a lot of sense because I think now more than ever, you really do, as you say, in this kind of crisis period, you need that sort of consistent sense checking of how people are getting on because to go back to your Goldilocks approach, that initial just right pricing, if circumstances around them have changed so much, may no longer make sense for them. And, you know, that's, I guess, where the data can help. Yeah, and absolutely. Another area is the, you know, in the customer metrics, if you already are tracking customer metrics and, and seeing, you know, where customers were finding value and not, then if, you know, user behavior is changing, you know, in the new market conditions, well, how are you going to know if you weren't already really understanding your customers with metrics to begin with? Because you can only get the insight from the point that you start tracking it. Yeah, exactly. So lastly, before we let you go, Carl, because I know we were originally scheduled to chat to you at Saster, where can people keep up with your work in the meantime? Um, you know, where can they get your book? Are, are you planning any webinars or any talks that people can, can take a look at what you're doing? Okay, well, I guess there's two main places I should mention. Uh, for my book and the work on churn and conference presentations on churn, go to my blog website, which is fightchurnwithdata.com. Um, it's pretty easy to find. And we and, can link to it in the, in the blog post for this episode. Oh, great. And then, you know, for all the Zora pieces on the subscription economy, they're pretty easy to find on Zora's website. I actually don't know the exact link, but if you if you search for Zora Subscription Economy Index, you'll get to the landing page. And there's a whole range of reports that you can download there. Fantastic. Well, we'll be sure to link to both of those. And then just before, before we wrap up, you know, with everything going on, we often ask people in these interviews if they're particularly inspired by a particular person or a business uh, whose work that they've seen, is there anything that you've seen at the moment that you find particularly inspiring in terms of how, how a company or an individual has reacted or responded to what's going on? Honestly, I've been pretty inspired by, by my own company, by Zora. You know, some of, in the last few months, some of our own customers have seen such a huge spike because, you know, we mm. support some of these uh, products that are linking people together at home and, have you know, seen vastly expanded usage at home. And Zora has really risen to the challenge of uh, meeting the needs of these customers. Massive spikes in the number of signups and users for, for many of our customers. That's great. And it's great to see them get behind their customers to that extent. Well, listen, Carl, it was an absolute pleasure chatting to you today. Thanks so much for joining us on the show. Yeah, it's been a pleasure. Nice to talk to you, Dee. We hope you enjoyed my conversation with Zuora's Carl Gold. If you did, we'd love you to give us a review. It helps like-minded people like you find their way to our content. We'll be back next week with another episode of Inside Intercom. We hope you'll join us. This is Inside Intercom.